It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney. Heath is away this week. Pat, I know we're a CFL podcast. We are definitely keeping that as our focus, but there's something that I have musing and bouncing around in my mind that I have to discuss with you. And that is this question of a high hit on a player with the football. Now, this goes back to the Dallas-San Francisco playoff game on the weekend in the NFL. The very, I think it is first play of the fourth quarter, CeeDee Lamb catches the ball, moves up the field, looks like he's being slowed, and then takes a shot from linebacker Fred Warner of the San Francisco 49ers. At the time, a flag is tossed, rough play. There's a discussion, and then suddenly the call is overturned because Lamb was not considered defenseless. In other words, he was in the act of running the football or a runner with the football. He was not considered defenseless and therefore is not Subject to Rule 12, call was overturned, no foul on the play. Thoughts on that? We've talked before about how leagues have to protect their players. Their players are the commodity that sells. If a player is observed by the referees on the field to take a hellacious hit, one that is high, one that's determined by the referees who watch it live that this was a rough call, you have it overturned. It's kind of interesting. You know, to me, a league is there to protect the players, and when you overturn a call on the field like that, it, it seems you're not looking after the player's best interest. It seemed to be that there was a discussion off camera, then the head official sort of wanders backwards and then makes the announcement. And it was a, concurred by the official that works with the broadcast crew on Fox that he said he, do, he isn't afforded the same rights as a defensive defenseless player. And I've thought to myself, at what point does he have rights then? Because the NFL is quite clear about helmet shots. You lead with the helmet, that's a foul. But if you don't lead with the helmet and you still hit high, why is that much different? I don't, I don't understand it. If we're supposed to be protecting players, we've, we've seen players get knocked out of games, quite significant concussion issues that came out of this season in the NFL for one specific Miami quarterback to a Tunga Liova. I don't understand what wh- your, your tipping point is in terms of enforcement. It, it would be interesting to know if that was the referees on the field, because if it is, I can see them in the, in the moment saying, okay, he's like a running back. Running backs put their heads down. They take head shots on, on many carries, to be honest. A receiver can be a little different because you've generally got a linebacker in this case or a defensive back coming across at high speed to make that hit. Not that they don't with running backs, but the running back is kind of putting his head down, pulling his shoulders up to protect neck when he's going into that type of traffic. If it's the officials on the field making that call in the moment, initially thought that they saw a hit where the player, the player's safety was at risk. In this case, if the referees say, okay, we, we let's just change it right here together, that's a discussion and that's more of a, a quick read as it is coming down from the league or coming down from the booth saying, no, you guys got it wrong, overview. If they got it wrong, that's a, a discussion, I think, for after the game. Because once the flag's in the air and the player has taken a hellacious hit, I think 
your best to go forward with that call on the field. Goes directly to Rule 12, Article 9, Subsection 3. A player attempting to catch a pass who has not had the time to clearly become a runner is considered a defenseless postured player. But if the player is capable of avoiding or warding off the impending contact of a of an opponent, he's no longer a defensive player. Def I keep screwing that up. He is no longer a defenseless player. And my question is, why does he have to be defenseless? If someone is trying to give you a shiver shot, what difference does it make if you're defenseless or not? I think the key word there for me is if he's capable of warding off the shot, right? Like if he's not capable of doing that, if someone's coming high and he can't protect himself, then whether he's defenseless or not, I don't think that term comes into play. It's more so, did the defensive player know that this guy can't take care of himself? He's not coming through a hole or a gap, bringing his shoulders up and go high at his head. We know that's how many players get injured. Many careers are ended in that case. You need to protect your players. In this case, I don't think it's the right decision. I don't know that C.D. Lamb saw that player coming at him because he was coming from the side. If your eyes are focused somewhere else... How do you see that person? Even your peripheral wouldn't have indicated that Warner was coming. Uh, that, to me, has got to be redressed. That has to be fixed. If we want players to have healthy lives after football, if we want players to have healthy careers while playing football, you've got to eliminate the shots, shoulders, and up. This is something I think the NFLPA should be addressing with the league and referees as well. I mean, I think all stakeholders have a role to play here, right? We want to protect our players. They are the game. It's not about the system. It's not about the referees. It's not about the coaches. It's about the players. And so if you protect them, it's going to be help the game be better. Because if we don't protect players, they're going to have less players who want to get into football. We're already seeing that in some cases, right? We see players who go through college, they've had one or two concussions, and they start to walk away from the game early. Because we know players are going to live generally for a long time after. And you want to have your senses about you. You want your body to work. You want to be productive through the rest of your life. And is it worth it, even if you're making millions of dollars, is it truly worth it to lose the capacity to walk, think? For me, it's not. So let's take care of those players. Let's make the decisions. We're not always going to get it right, whether we're a referee or whether we're the league. But that's where the discussion has to come in and they need to make the best decision for everyone moving forward. Speaking of players that have an impact, Bo Levi Mitchell signs with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What a great segue that was. A three-year deal with the Tabbies, reportedly over 500000 a season. Huge, because Mitchell had said more than once he was going to test free agency, but I'm sure that the Tiger Cats kept upping the ante until it made it sweet enough for him to say, yeah, I think I can do this. They did. They took a big risk in trading for Bo Levi Mitchell. They started in December to bring Bo Levi and his family out to Hamilton to show what they have to offer. They put, obviously, a very good package together. And Bo says it's not about financial remuneration in some of the interviews he's had. We know he was going to get paid regardless of which team he went with. For him... He's saying that he believes Hamilton gives him the best shot to win now to get some more great cups. And I don't know, is that is that the case? They certainly showed a lot of faith in him going out to make the trade. And I think he's rewarded that faith by saying, okay, 
I'm willing to get involved in Hamilton. They're hosting the Great Cup this year. They're making a bid to be the Eastern team that hits that Great Cup. And this is a great step for them to take in in reaching that goal. Well, it's also a flag that's being run up the pole to the rest of the team saying, we're serious here. We just signed who we think is the best available, maybe the best quarterback in the league. And now the rest of you, if you want to be on this journey with us, here's pen, here's paper, let's go. Absolutely. And and they're going to get that core group back, but they're also going to be able to now take a look at some other players who maybe because of financial situations or teams moving in a different direction are moving into free agency who take a look at this and say, hey, Hamilton will give me a chance to pick up a couple of playoff paychecks if they're successful in doing that. Since Danny McManus left Hamilton, the Tiger Cats have tried a whole slew of quarterbacks to win them the big game. And you can go up and down the ladder. Jason Moss, Casey Printers, Henry Burris, Zach Kolaris, and Jeremiah Mazzoli, of course, and Dane Evans, who did get them to the big game. That's a lot since they last won. Well, as you indicated, money isn't always the driving, motivating force. Winning and having that ring may be something that will motivate a lot of these guys to sign again. And we enumerated a lot of names, especially on the defensive side of the ball in Hamilton, that are out there and could go free agent if the Ticats don't get them. They have, I think, the nucleus to get the job done. It now behooves the management to make sure that all the pieces that they trust are back in the fold and maybe pick up a couple of free agents to fill out the ranks so that they can make that push because it's one thing to host. It's another thing to be there. The third thing is you've got the Great Cup champions in your division. you got to get past them. You do, and, and they're a team that I think has to be the favorite going in, but we'll see what free agency brings because when you see a team making commitment to win, players want to be on that team. And to me, Hamilton has signaled that we're in it to win it by making this signing. They made the trade. They identified early that Dane Evans was not going to be their quarterback of the future. So they went all in and and they were successful in wooing Bo Levi Mitchell to come to that team. I'm excited to watch this move forward. They're not the team they were in 2018-19. They have slowly rebuilt. They've got a few of those veterans, but they also have to take a look at building on that veteran presence with some up-and-comers if they want to stay long-term successful. Is it a one-year we're all in this year to win it. When they give them a three-year contract, it doesn't appear to be so. They've got to keep that defensive line together and they've got to keep that defensive secondary together. That is going to be huge. And I think that's number one job for Steinauer and crew to get all of those people back. There's a lot of all-star talent that needs to be back on the field for the Tiger Cats. For Dickinson, he's been a head coach his entire career with Bo Levi Mitchell as his quarterback. He looks at this situation, the field is far different. A guy that you worked with exclusively since you've been a head coach, in fact, pretty much since you've been an offensive coordinator, now dressed for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, that's got to be a very unsettling notion. Now, you know in in football or any pro sport, you're always going to have those moments where... A guy with whom you'd had a great relationship now is playing on a team that's trying to defeat you. Question, Dane Evans. He's due a big contract himself. As a starter, you're pretty much guaranteed a minimum 400000 in this league. He's around four fifty. He has famously left town. 
he's betting on himself, which in my books tells me that he's thinking that he's done with the Tiger Cats. If he is done with the Tiger Cats, do they try to make a trade to make something happen and get some resources back? You can't really, I guess you could cut him, but then what? I I don't think they have to. From my understanding, with his contract, he has not negotiated any off-season bonuses that are going to be paid. So Hamilton is not at that February 1st big bonus, we've got to move him now or cut him situation. He's not receiving a bonus according to what I've read about his contract. Therefore, Hamilton doesn't have to be in a big hurry to move him. There's going to be a lot of teams that are now interested. We've talked about Bo Levi Mitchell being the key piece and the key quarterback in this whole carousel. And now that he's landed, this is going to make other teams start to realize that their options are narrowing. So to me, Dane Evans is certainly one of the pieces. We know that Harris is also a free agent. We've got some other quarterbacks who played in the CFL that are free agents. But you've got two or three key free agents, and Dane Evans is one of them. I think Orlando Steinhauer has to take a look at trades. I'm sure there's been a few teams that have already contacted him. They can't afford to pay him $450 and pay over $500,000 for Bo Levi Mitchell. And I don't see Dane Evans renegotiating a contract, even though last year, by all means, and he admits it, was not a great year for Dane Evans, both physically in the way he played and also mentally in the way he responded to some of the struggles he had. I would be surprised if within the next two weeks, Dane Evans isn't traded. Partly because of what you alluded to, the the choices of quarterbacks available are now beginning to narrow. And a team, maybe as a preemptive, not sure that they can get a quality starter, looks at Dane Evans and said, well, if I go trade, at least then I can get a quality starter. Could the Rough Riders be interested, for instance? Not unreasonable for them to make a move such as this. It's just a question, do they trust Dane Evans with that offense? And of course, there is a quarterback there that they do have under contract Mason Fine, what does he think about all of this? And and that's the tough call. Saskatchewan is in a situation where they have to win now. They've got a coach and a GM who are on an expiring contract. They haven't been as successful in this past year, so they have to win now. I think a veteran quarterback gives you the best chance to win now as opposed to developing someone like Mason Fine. He may have potential. He may even deserve some more playing time or even a timeshare if he has a quarterback like Dane Evans. But if you bring him in at 450000 do you have much option other than playing him as the full-time bona fide starter? If you're putting that kind of money out, you want that guy to be your starter. For the Rough Riders last year, when Cody Fajardo was put on the shelf in the last two weeks, that was a big contract that they were eating to have him watch the games. You don't want to do that very often. You want to make sure that your starting quarterback who's getting the lion's share of any top dog salary on the team, he is the one guy that you get right. Now, you mentioned Trevor Harris is available, although more than likely the Alouettes are going to get him back. The interesting one that came out of Montreal is that Eugene Lewis, who was a star receiver for them for the last few years, has tweeted out see all in free agency and that in my book says bc here we come 
Absolutely. BC's lost Burnham. They're going to be in the running for a, a big receiver, but I think there are other teams also that are going to be. If Saskatchewan is not going to bring back Shaq Evans and potentially Duke Williams, who is their premier receiver? Kyron Moore? I mean, he's a good receiver, but I don't think he's quite in the same category as a Eugene Lewis. So how everything shakes out from here on down financially. So we know Bo Levi is getting 500000 Trevor Harris's contract will probably be somewhat related to that number. I think you'll see teams working with Dane Evans. There may be some opportunities to potentially renegotiate based on the year he had if if it comes out or he may say no it's 450 and that's that's what I'm going for if he does that are teams willing to stay there because he struggled in Hamilton which is a bit of a fishbowl in the east but I don't think it's the same type of fishbowl for a quarterback as Saskatchewan would be so if he's having his play critiqued and he loses that confidence again he's not going to be able to command a $400,000 salary. You know, ironically, also out east, Chad Kelly is making the news because the Argonauts haven't made a strong commitment to him being their starting quarterback next year. They're still hoping that McLeod Bethel-Thompson recovers from the surgery that he had on his thumb and that he still has desire to be their starting quarterback. And for Chad Kelly, the writing is sort of on the wall that I may not be the starter here. I want to play. Where can I go that I'm going to be wanted? And Naaman Roosevelt and him have had a history. Naaman Roosevelt, the receivers coach with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Famously, he only came to the CFL because he wanted to play for Toronto. But now that he's got his appetite wet about playing Canadian football, maybe another destination like Regina and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders might fit. Again, that would be a trade situation. Mm-hmm. It would be, and it's going to be dependent upon whether or not Toronto has McLeod Bethel Thompson coming back. If he doesn't come back, then Chad Kelly certainly has to be on the table as one of the quarterbacks they're going to bring and compete. And I do like that they've actually said you do have to compete. To anoint a young player who's had limited success, yes, he did outstanding in the Grey Cup. He started one other game last year and he showed fairly well, but that's not a big resume to put forward to say, I'm a bona fide starter in the CFL at this point in my career. He is 29 years old, though, so there's understanding. He wants the opportunity to play, play now. If he's looking to go back to the NFL, the window's really tightening. I don't know that it's even there. Not at the age that he's at. He's had his chance, and if he wants to play football, it's going to be in Canada, unless he decides to play for one of the spring leagues, which is within reason. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. I'm not certain what the Rough Riders will do if they do not bring back Dekeel Williams and they are looks like they're not interested in Cody Fajardo. That's probably about three quarters of a million dollars off the books there. That would free up money to bring somebody if they wanted there. The question is, other than Trevor Harris, what starter is out there? Nick Arbuckle, Caleb Evans, who do you pick? Unless it's Mason Fine, the guy that's there. And, and and the guy that's there may be one of the guys who has to compete, right? Saskatchewan is in that tough situation. If you bring Dane Evans in at that salary and he struggles, that 
franchise is not going to have a lot of patience with a quarterback who's struggling, much like he did in Hamilton last year. Now, a new offensive coordinator, a new team, a new environment may be all he needs to get back to where he was prior to 2021. He looked like he was the man, much like Jake Mayer looks like he's going to be the man in Calgary now that there's no one behind him. Evans just didn't come through in Hamilton. Stan Peters bring back defensive lineman James Vauders after a tour in the NFL. TJ Lee, defensive back with the BC Lions, re-signs with the club. As we said, there's going to be this trickle of players. Tyrese Beverett re-signs with the Montreal Alouettes that are going to be making their way back to teams as they start to show up before free agency comes out in earnest in February. Yeah, I think we're starting to see now that teams have had lots of conversations with the people that they want back. Some of them are now determining what they're worth compared to what other players are signing for. We know the CFL is a small league. We know players talk. So they're going to want to get what they believe they're worth. In some cases, the teams will be able to do that. In others, they're going to leave dissatisfied, may sign elsewhere for the same amount as they were offered, sometimes less. If they're an all-star like Eugene Lewis, potentially more. Famously, John Huffnagel has said, you may be the best player and playing for the Calgary Stampeders, but you're not necessarily going to be the highest paid player in the CFL and playing for the Calgary Stampeders. There's a salary cap. You have to find a way to live within it. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have been to three straight Grey Cups. They had to live with the same salary cap that all the other eight teams had to work their way through. You have to figure this out. And players, of course, they want to be paid. If they've had a great season, they want to be paid. There's a question of what's the going rate for defensive backs? What's the going rate for linemen? What's the going rate for running backs, for receivers? There's sort of a a feel. And then every once in a while, you get a receiver that makes almost a quarter million, and it throws everything out of whack. I think we saw that last year when we had some of our receivers sign with different teams. Shaquille Williams, uh, you also see uh, Kenny Lawler signing outlandish receiver contracts in comparison, but it's because there were fewer big-name free agents out like quarterbacks. This year, we've got a number of quarterbacks out there. I don't think we're going to see receivers get as high as they were. And that may be where someone like Eugene Lewis, who didn't cash in on that opportunity last year, feels now he's deserved of 300000 or more and may not find that GMs have the appetite for that this year. He may not get that kind of money, but even if he approached two hundred, that's not a bad day at the office. I'm not sure how this will all play out. By the time we hit the airwaves in a week's time, a lot more will be settled and a lot more will be out there <laughs> left to be determined. The Edmonton Elks, who lost $1.1 million in 2021 and went through another losing season in 2022, are going to have to get a little creative, I think, to get their uh, fan base back in and help the bottom line. Now, they do have a kitty of money that they have kept to withstand the short-term losses, and they'll be okay, but... Victor Kui, of course, is not one to stand pat on what they've done. He wants to forge ahead. It's interesting to see their assistant GM, G. Roy Simon, come out this week and say, we're going to win and we're going to win big. That's a lot of bluster coming forward from a team that 
has not done much in the past two seasons. Chris Jones has had a history. First year with any team, Saskatchewan. Well, Edmonton, he inherited a team, so he didn't have to do much. But he always has that first year where he gets it and then starts over. And and the second year, they start to make moves. I don't doubt that the Elks will be way better. If they can get their quarterbacking sorted out, whether it's going to be Trey Ford or Taylor Cornelius, they will be better. The defense started to take shape last year. It was the offense that let them down. It, it was, and I think they've taken some steps in that direction as well. We know Chris Jones is that mad scientist. He goes through a hundred different players to determine which ones have the potential to be there. I think they've got a core that they're moving forward with, and I think what they offer their fans right now is some hope that things will improve, that they're going to win. And when you have that bravado to come out and say, we're going to win, we're going to win big, it puts some pressure on they're going to be a better team, I believe, in 2023 than they were in 2022. They're going to take that next step. Maybe it's three more wins. That alone is a, a big step forward. If they can get that home win this year, that's a huge step forward. And if you can offer your fans hope, and Victor Quee's done a great job, I think, of selling the product that they have on the field, even when it hasn't been up to par, and the excitement in the stadium, where people, I think, will be ready to come back as soon as they have a modicum of success. If the Elks can win f- double what they did last year or even five more games, that puts them entirely in the conversation for the playoffs. That seems like a small ask, and yet it's still a big ask to reach. Ten wins typically gets you into the playoffs regardless of which division you're in. There is the finish line for 2023. If you can get to ten, you're in. Can they do it? Will BC take a step back? Will Winnipeg take a step back? What will become of Saskatchewan? And how does Mayer play out in Calgary? The West, to me, it's almost like you put a bunch of marbles on a drum and you hit it with a stick and now those marbles are flying everywhere. What is this going to look like when they all settle? It's certainly going to be different. We've seen Winnipeg go through a period of extended success. And whether they can continue to do that, they keep bringing back some veterans There's also some key players that are still out there on the free agent market. And can they afford to after giving Zach Caleros almost $600,000 and bringing back those offensive and defensive linemen once again as their first signing priority continue to meet with the success that they've had? That's going to be a big question. And I do think that BC has the potential to actually fall back without Nathan Rourke. They weren't quite the team they were with Rourke when we saw Vernon Adams step in at quarterback. Can Calgary take the step forward? Where is Saskatchewan? That's kind of a question that is fully out there because we don't even know who they're going to be next year. To me, Edmonton's one that offers hope because they're going to be coming forward and I think they're going to definitely improve. So I hope that they have an opportunity to push for the playoffs. I'd like to see them win at home. We want to see success in some of the teams that are rebuilding. And they're one of our teams in the CFL that's rebuilding. Another one that I'm hoping has some success in the East is Ottawa. I think they've done a great job of bringing some of the key players that they have back through free agency to this point. To me, they've probably done the best of the league to bring back some of those key free agents, knowing that they want them moving forward. Can they take that step next year to become a playoff team? It could be so significant for the race in the East and the race in the West to see how teams get out of the gate in June. 
If you go two and zero, three and zero to start the season, doesn't matter who you are. Your your odds of making the playoffs are exponentially better than the team that goes zero and three. They are. We always have aberrations like Saskatchewan last year, who started four and one and then kind of fell off. But that fast start does give you the opportunity to stay in the race. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.